0: Hey, this week in our 260 reading, and you've heard that a couple of times already, 260. What is 260? 260 is the fact that there are 260 chapters in the New Testament, the same number of weekdays there are every year. Right? 52 weeks of the year, five uh, weekdays every, every uh, weekday, or every week, and you multiply five times 52 is 260. So, what we're doing is we are reading through the New Testament together as a church family. And right as we read one chapter a day, Monday through Friday, it takes us through the entire New Testament in this year. And if you have not yet kind of jumped in, or jumped on uh, the 260 wagon, this would be a really good time to do it because we have just started the Gospel of John. Great place to uh, dive in and read if you have not been part of that. So you can find our 260 information right on our website. If you just go to sm4.org, you're going to find 260 right there. Click on that. There's a downloadable uh, schedule, and you can just follow right along to start with the Gospel of John, and you're going to be right with us. Well, in this week's reading... We read John chapter 3, and in John chapter 3 is probably the most universally known Bible verse in the whole entire Bible. Not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament, probably around the world, if you were to ask people, do you know one Bible verse, they might come right here to John 3, verse 16. It is the most universally known verse around the world, and if you don't know it, we're gonna look at it for a moment here. You think this is what we're gonna be preaching on, but it's gonna be a little different, but I wanna start here because it's so important, and then what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at the verses leading up to this, but I want you to read along with me, and everybody just out loud together, John three sixteen. You ready? Go. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Listen, John 3.16 is probably the most universally known, maybe even the most universally beloved, because it's so powerful in each of the different thoughts that are explored in that one little verse. It's so succinct and yet so powerful. And it talks about three different things. It talks about, of course, who God is, that he is love, and that out of that love he gave. It talks about his sacrifice, right? It alludes to the coming of the cross. Um, And because God loved the world, he gave his one and only son. And then it talks about us. It talks about what we do. That if we put our faith in him, something remarkable will happen. And then it gives us this, this, the greatest reward that we could ever even imagine. That's eternal life. So it talks about God. It talks about a response to God. And then the reward that we have for putting our trust in him. It is the gospel in one sentence. Right? The gospel in one sentence. And because of that, it is so widely known. But what I want to do is I want us to not look at the most widely known verse in the Bible, or even in John, John chapter three. I want us to look at the probably the least known, or maybe least understood, words from John chapter three, and they come right before Jesus says these famous words. He says something entirely different. He references a story from the Old Testament that probably make a lot of us go, what? What, what is Jesus talking about? Because right before he gets to John three sixteen in and John 14 and 15, Jesus is talking about Moses and snakes. And it's usually... Like, you know, the flyover verses. Like, we don't really pay too much attention to it. It's like, okay, Moses, snakes, get to John 3.16. We don't know what he's talking about, but today we're gonna do a deeper dive because I believe that there's a great possibility that if out of all the stories that Jesus could have referenced, thousands of stories through the Old Testament that give a picture of who God is and our great need for him, he chose this one unique little story and just grabs it and pulls it in. And I believe that as we explore this particular story, we're gonna have something unlocked at another level, right? Regarding the truth that we see in the gospel and in John 3:16. So are you ready to level up? You ready to level up your understanding of John 3:16? You ready to level up your understanding of the gospel? You ready? Okay. So, what did Jesus say? What is John 3:14 and 15? Right before John 3.16. Let's look at that. And this is what Jesus says: He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. You're like, I don't remember that story. That's why we're gonna be talking about it today. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man, Jesus using that description to talk about himself, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Like in verse 16, Jesus here is talking about life through faith in himself, but out of any of the stories, like I said, that Jesus could have grabbed, why did he grab this story? Now, this story about Moses and snakes is from Numbers chapter 21. Um, maybe you have not been reading in Numbers recently. Maybe you've never read in numbers. Maybe you don't know what this part of the Bible is talking about. Well, in Numbers 21, what we what we're finding is we're finding that God's people, the Israelites, are on a journey. God had rescued them from hundreds of years of oppression and slavery under Pharaoh in Egypt, hundreds of years. And what happens is they are on this journey to get to this land that God has promised for them. It's called the promised land because God had promised it to his people. They're on this journey but what could have been a very quick journey Not too many miles separating Egypt and the promised land, but there was an issue. And that was over these hundreds of years, God's people developed a slave mentality. They didn't know what it was like to be anything other than slaves. Generations of slaves were born to generations of slaves. And even though they were God's people, they had this slave mentality that really warped their understanding of the world and who God was and how God could even use them and who are we. And God took them on this journey out of Egypt, but rather than making just this quick dart to the promised land, and how many of you are, are recognizing that, oh, maybe, maybe I'm somewhere in that story, Maybe the, the old me, maybe the slave me, maybe the journey that I am on towards this promised future, this blessed future that Jesus has for me, maybe, maybe some of that needs to get worked out of my life. That's true. So we can learn a lot about ourselves through looking at this 40-year process, this 40-year journey in the wilderness, And that's where we find God's people in this part of the story. And in Numbers 21, what we find, which is where we're gonna be reading today, Numbers 21, what we find is that if you just go back one chapter to Numbers 20, they they suffered a number of setbacks. Moses' wife died, the high priest died, Moses got angry, disobeyed God. I mean, there was all these really, ugly kind of things happening on this journey. Hard things, difficult things. But then the last one he gets to is that there was another country that they, they needed to pass through on their way to the promised land. It, it was the nation of Edom. And what happens is that Edom says, we don't want you to come through our country. And God didn't say, okay, just go through and knock them over, push them out of the way. You need to just press through and go through. No, what happens is Edom rises up this big army and they come and confront Israel and say, No, you're going around. And so they have this very difficult and challenging moment where they now have to not just go through, but they have to go around this nation. And they were already tired, they were already frustrated. You know, they'd been out there trekking through the wilderness. They got all their possessions. They got the minivan full. You know, it's like they, they've got all, they've got all their, their herds of flocks with them. They've got their kids with them. Like, are we there yet? Is this the promised land? They've got all this. and But they're walking and they're trudging through the dusty desert. And they're running out of supplies from time to time. And they're just like, when is this ever going to be over? And this is where we get to the story. Found in Numbers 21, six verses that we're going to be looking at that tell this story that Jesus referenced in John 3. Starting in Numbers 21, verses 4 and 5, it says this. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. Everybody say, around Edom. Now you know why they were going around Edom, taking the long way. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die? To die in the wilderness. There is no bread, there's no water and we detest this miserable food. I want you to think about three of the statements that are in that particular opening paragraph of the story. Some troubling things. Number one, it says they spoke against God. They weren't just expressing a little bit of like, you know, frustration and like, oh, this is taking too long, God, where are, you know, get us through, press us through. No, it says that they spoke against God they were literally turning their backs on the one who had rescued them and their children from generational slavery. That's what's going on in this moment. When it says that they spoke against him, they literally were turning their backs on God and they were cursing him. Second thing it says, why, everybody say why, Say it again. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt? I want to tell you, they had lost their understanding of their why. This is so important. Listen, when you lose your why, you will lose your way. Always. Always. When you lose your why, you will lose your way. And I, I don't even care what, you, what we're even talking about. If you lose the why for your marriage, now why? Why am I married to this person? Why? It's hard. They do stuff. They, man, that just, They can't even, like, sleep normal. They, like, roll around and pull the sheets and snore and do stuff. Why? Listen, when you lose your why, you lose your way. It happens again and again and again in life. Oh, why am I saving money? Why am I not just putting the credit card down every time I want something? If you lose your why, you lose your... Come on. If you lose your why, you lose your way you can think about any different part of your story why am I operating with integrity man it would be so easier just to take this other route why am I doing it the hard way when you, we lose our why we lose our way and that is so much the story that we see captured in this one phrase why have you brought us out out, out of Egypt now, for anybody, like, looking from the outside, like, as we look at the story of the Israelites, like, we would say, come on, guys, this is obvious why. I mean, don't you remember? God brought you out of slavery. You were owned by Pharaoh. God is taking you from owner, being owned to giving you ownership of a new land that he has prepared for you. He is taking you out of bondage and giving you freedom. You used to feel distant from God and now he is literally walking amongst you. Now, they're turning their backs on him. They're cursing him. They lost their why. They lost their why. And so they lost their way. And I think what is true of the Israelites is true of us. When we think of our own story, when we look in the mirror, you know, what do we do we remember the why? Why we are following Jesus? Why are we why are why we are taking the narrow road when there's this really broad, wide road that would be super easy to go down because it's the way of the world. Everybody's going down that path, right? Everybody's taking that pill. It's the easy way to go. So why would we take the harder route? Why would we say no to the things the world is saying yes to? Why would we do that? When we lose our why, we lose our way. But our why is wrapped up in the same things the Israelites experienced. God has brought us from death to life. He's brought us out of bondage into freedom. Instead of being distant from God, we have God with us. But because of the hardships that they encountered, Israel lost focus on their why. They were tired. It says they grew impatient. Probably started looking around, like, on the journey. Like, look at Edom. Man, Look look at their strength. They're not following God, but look how cool they are, man. They could just stand up with their army and, like make us go the other way. That doesn't look so bad, right? Because they had grown impatient with the journey. Probably just started looking around at the other nations following after other gods. They grew bitter. They forgot why they were on this journey in the first place. And if the enemy of our soul can steal away our why, it is only a matter of time until we will lose our way. Then they say this phrase, they say, we detest this miserable food. Like they're literally saying what God has given us is disgusting to us. We no longer want his provision. And remember, I mean, when we read about what God had provided, he provided this miraculous food. Just only has appeared on the planet during this one stretch of time for the journey to sustain them. It was called manna. And it says in Exodus, it says it was like wafers made with honey. I mean, it was like really, really tasty. Really, it was sweet, but it gave them strength. I mean, this is what had been sustaining them now for the journey. Took them through the desert. I mean, this is what their soldiers were eating before they went to war. This sustained them and gave them strength. And it was sweet. That's like if I could get like Dreyer's chocolate ice cream, you know. And just like, oh man, uh, but it's strengthening me. It's like I'm actually getting toned and getting strong. Ah. And this is what God had like provided for them. And they said, we hate it. We hate what you have provided. So they were saying, we reject God and his provision for us. We no longer want any part of his plan for our lives. So God responds. It's okay. You don't want that? You don't want my provision? Then I'll send you something entirely different. Instead of sending something sweet that was meant for your strength, I'm gonna send something painful that will steal your strength. So we get to a very challenging verse in the story. It's verse six, the very next verse. Numbers 21, six says, then the Lord sent Venomous snakes among them. They bit the people. And many Israelites died. Do you struggle with the idea of God sending poisonous snakes into his people? And many of them dying. I I do. I, I, I wonder about that. It's like when I read this story again, it's even like, wow, God, really? How do I preach that? What is the takeaway here, Lord? It's like, you guys are like looking under your seats like, uh uh-oh, is God God doing that again? But I I want you to think about something because it forced me to like wrestle through this idea of God sent venomous snakes, that people, many died his people. And I want you to think about two other scenarios of what God could have done and why that would have been ultimately really, really ineffective, not helpful whatsoever. First scenario is God could have just ignored their curses. He could just have pretended like, no, no, it's all good. No, I, oh, I understand. Oh, you're having a bad day. You're, you're cursing me and you're rejecting my provision. Oh, it's all good. It's all good. Don't don't worry about it. I'll just keep doing what I do, and I will just become like your, your cosmic genie, right? Your wish is my command. See, that's not how God operates, but that's honestly how many people feel that, well, that's, that really is how God should operate. It kind of falls into the category of what we believe about God, what we say and what we do, it really doesn't matter. There's really no consequence to my story or anybody else's. It's like, you just do you. And then God, who's kind of provided this world and everything that we have for our sustenance and our enjoyment, and all the beauty and everything here, everything he's done, you know what, he's just gonna keep doing that forever and ever, amen. There's never gonna be an end to that, and he will just be like, like our divine enabler. Whatever journey you're on, God's fine with that. You just do you, and he's gonna, listen, that is not the God of the Bible. That is not what we see. Listen, if we, if God would have taken that route and just said, ah, it's all right, it's all good, I'm just gonna keep helping you along on your whatever journey you're now on, you know what, they would have never reached the promised land. Listen, the promised land was the promised land because it was spoken by God as a promise for them. God promised it. And it was part of this larger story that we see over and over again. Genesis, Exodus, all the way through to here where it's like, I will be your God and you will be my people. I will be your God and you will be my people. And I have promised for you a place that is a blessing and of resource and of rest. Will you trust me on the journey to get there? Listen, if God would have just like taken hands off it's like, ah, whatever, I'll just keep providing for you. It doesn't matter what you do, what you say, what you believe. It would have destroyed the very core of that message about I am your God. You are my people. There's another scenario that could have played out. And that is that God says, okay, I'll just take you at your word you're rejecting me and my provision, Just no more manna. Over the next weeks, they would have begun starving to death. They did not have means to provide for themselves. They were rejecting their only source of nutrients and of resource. They would have slowly died, probably watching their children die first that would have been the scenario of God would have just taken them at their word and said, okay, you don't want it? I'll stop. Also, obviously, would have never made it to the promised land. Either of those scenarios would have completely destroyed what God was at work doing, not only in them, but eventually would do through them as his people so either of those scenarios would not have worked. So what was God doing by sending the snakes? I believe he was simply fast-forwarding the story. When God sent snakes in, bet people, many died, he was fast-forwarding the story. He's saying, I want to show you what it's like in this world if I am not part of your story. When you reject me and the provision that I've made for you, I want to show you what it's like. It will always lead to death. It will always lead to death when I am not part of your story. This is what life is like without me. So rather than withholding his provision and them all dying or somehow pretending that he was no longer God, he does something else. In his mercy, he brings a form of discipline to his people in order that they would understand the brokenness of their thinking. And you know what? It's exactly what happens. Listen to how the people respond to the discipline of God and it's in the next verse, Numbers 21, seven. It says this, the people came to Moses and said, we sinned. The discipline that God brought brought this immediate repentance. And you say, well, of course, I mean, people are dying. No, you know what? Sometimes when bad things happen and plagues come and different things happen in our world, rather than repentance, you know what people do? Curse God louder. But there was something in the core of these people that that remembered, ah, he's our God. We are his people, we've sinned against him. And then the second thing, it goes on, it says, not only we sin when we spoke against the Lord and against you, Moses, <clears throat> but then they say this, pray, pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. See, I love this, they, 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 they went to prayer. They immediately responded, in other words, not only with repentance, but with a statement of faith. But like, if anything is gonna get us through this, it's God. We need to not only turn from our sin, but we need to turn to him. Who is our savior? Who is our resource? Our rescuer. Listen, that is faith. When they said, basically, when they said pray, they were saying, we're putting our trust in you, God. They repented and they returned to their faith. And you know what God did? He did what he always does when we repent and turn to him in faith. Always. It's in the next verses. Verse 8 and 9. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and Live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole. Then, when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. God did not take away the snakes, which is fascinating to me. What a reminder that sometimes life bites. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes life hurts. God has never said that he was gonna take away all the pain from our life experience. The snakes remain. But I love this. God didn't take away the snakes, but he provided a way for healing and for life. For healing and for life in the midst of the struggle, in the middle of it. He didn't leave people in a place of death and despair, right? See, God understands our pain, our grief, our brokenness, but he will always provide a way out when we turn to him. See, what was it about this story that Jesus wanted to reference? Why did Jesus tell this story right before he drops this powerful truth bomb, right, of John 3, 16. I believe that it's because he wanted to remind all of humanity of the why. Why? Why is this so important? And in this short story that Jesus referenced, man, there are probably so many different life lessons. But I I wanna just... As we close, I wanna highlight three things from this that are truths about God, but that remind us about the why. Three truths about God from this story. Number one, he is Lord. He is Lord. Listen, when when you are confronted with this story, and I do not believe that this is a fable. I don't believe Jesus in John chapter three would have dropped like, one of Aesop's fables, or something like that, into the middle. You know, well, there were these two foxes, and you know. This was not a fable. Jesus was reminding this guy he was having a conversation with, Nicodemus, a religious leader, who would have immediately known this story. He'd heard it hundreds of times growing up as a kid, he'd studied it as a rabbi. He knew it inside and out. When Jesus said, hey, listen, remember, Remember how God made a way for his people who had sinned and in their brokenness and unbelief? Do you remember Nicodemus? What? God did. He proved his lordship. See, God is the God of the universe. You cannot read this story and kind of remain neutral on the authority of God. He is the God of the universe, friends. He is over all things, including our lives. There is nothing outside of his reach. He is sovereign, he is Lord, he is the king of kings. There is no one else like him. There is no one or nothing like him that is worthy of our honor of our devotion, of our obedience. There is no one like our God. No one. He is Lord. And that is embedded into the story. And the Israelites got it. They got it right. Secondly, second thing, he makes a way for life. God always makes a way for life. See, yes, he is Lord, so he is over all life. Our days are in his hands. But I'll tell you, the beauty in this is that his goal is always to create a way for life. Always. He will always provide a way for people to experience life. And it's why Jesus came. John talks a lot about life in Jesus in fact, it's in 1 John 4, 9. I just want to highlight this one other time that, that John talks about life in Jesus. First John 4, 9 says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Always we can know that God is the one who makes a way for life. The third lesson, I think, from this story in Numbers 21 that helps remind us of our why is that faith is what leads to life. Faith in Jesus is what leads to life. Jesus said it, I am the way. The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the path. He is the gateway. This is the gospel, friends. This is the good news. He's not only Lord and made a way for life, but as we put our faith in Jesus, we can experience that life. Life that starts here and now, but then continues forever. So with those things, those whys in our hearts and in our minds, let's reread what Jesus says in John chapter 3, 14, 15, and 16. In fact, I want you to just read it out loud with me. We're going to put it up on the screen so we're all reading in the same translation here. Read these words of Jesus with new understanding with a depth of clarity. John three fourteen through 16, you ready? Here we go. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Thank you, Jesus. Now, I never want us to think of John 3.16 the same. It's like we always need to remember the context into which Jesus placed this. Just as Moses lifted up that snake in the wilderness. So Jesus had to be lifted up. See, Moses put a snake on the pole, but God sent his son to literally be lifted up and placed on a cross. That everyone who would look to him, believe me, when those Israelites were bitten by a snake, they knew that death was imminent. When they looked at that symbol, that God had given them to look to that and find life, believe me, they weren't just like casually glancing over like, "Mm, maybe I'll see the snake today, maybe I won't. No, in faith, it's like, no, this is what God said to do that I might live. I mean, they were running to find that. They were looking with faith, trusting that the Lord was their provider that he will always make a way for life. Listen, when we read this, we need to understand that in the same way that God gave his son to be lifted up for all mankind so that everyone who would look at him, repenting of our unbelieving ways, turning to him in faith, that we might live, that we might live. Friends, never forget your why. Never forget the why. It is of most importance. Let's pray. God, thank you that through A thousand different ways, Lord, through your word, you reinforce the why. Oh, Lord. Why why would we follow after you? One, because you love us. And you love us so much that you gave, you sacrificed your very best, you sacrificed your own son. That as we would look and see him, as we would turn our eyes to Jesus, Lord, that it would be the provision for our life. You did not create us for death, you created us for life. But, Lord, the journey, just like for the Israelites, the journey does get long, it becomes difficult. We, infa- we, we get confronted with hardship, we get tired, we can get frustrated we start looking around at the world around us going, man, why aren't I just taking that path? And even today, Lord, there's that reminder to remember our why. To remember our why. And today, I I just want us to just pause in this moment in God's presence and Say, God, there have been some, some of the why that I've been missing. I, I have been in jeopardy of losing my way over here in this part of my story because I've forgotten the why. Maybe the Lord would help to restore to you today your Why? Because just as it's true that when we lose our why, we lose our way, man, when we have that why so deeply woven into our understanding and our commitment, I'll tell you what, we will hold fast and we will not give up. And we will not turn to the left or the right, but we will stay the course and we will stay faithful to our faithful God. We'll do it in our marriages. We'll do it as part of a faith community, as a church family. We'll do it in our jobs, we'll do it at school. We will, God, we will be your people because we understand why. We understand the calling that is upon us, the purpose on our lives. And so Jesus, today I pray that you would Remind us of our why. You have called us to this earth to be fruitful and to multiply. To not only be blessed, but to extend that blessing to those around us. And if there's anybody here today that just says, you know what? I have been trapped in this unbelieving model of living and thinking. And maybe you're even like, yeah, I'm like somebody who has cursed God. God, I don't want you in my life, I don't want you, I don't want your provision, I'm gonna do it my way. Friends, what a reminder today that, listen, that path, you can take it, but it will always lead to death. And if you want life in Jesus, there's only one way. (laughs) Say, same way the Israelites did it, the same way Jesus was reminding us, repent of our unbelieving ways and put our trust in him. Because he's always loved you and his goal has always been life for you. And if that is you today, would you do me the honor of just like look up at me, wave so I can like agree with you, say, that's me, that's my story. Yeah, bro, I agree with you. Yeah, yeah, Jesus knows. And he's here, he's for you, he's not against you. Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Come on. Yeah, I agree with you guys. agree with you. Anybody else? Yeah. Jesus, thank you today for restoring the why in our story, the why in our faith story. You are Lord. You've designed us for life, and we can have life in you through faith. So Jesus, today we reaffirm our Love and our faith in you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can we celebrate? We're celebrating the why. He is our why. He is our why. I'm going to have our prayer ministry team come right now and just make themselves available. If you're here today, you have any need, you have any desire that is yet unfulfilled, something that's like, man, I just wanna agree with someone in prayer about something. Maybe you're facing something physically in your body, maybe it's just a part of your story that you need God's touch on. Now, we've got a great team of faith-filled people who understand their why and will absolutely love to just partner with you in prayer before you go. Now, we got stuff happening for our youth, don't forget about that. We got Live Up happening every Wednesday night at six o'clock. We also have prayer. Right here in the sanctuary, every Wednesday at 6 o'clock, we gather for an hour to seek the Lord, to cry out to Him. It's been such a good um, opportunity to be together week after week. We invite you to join in on that if you haven't done that. Be here at 6 o'clock any Wednesday. We'd love to have you come and join us. Church, have a fantastic week. We love you. Enjoy your week.